Welcome to The League, an NBA pod. On today's episode, I'm joined by Zach as we break down all the action from opening night in the NBA. We go in-depth for both games to see what we can and can't take away from the first night. Thank you for listening and enjoy. All right, we're back again. Today we're going to do breakdowns of the Lakers-Clippers game and the Pelicans-Raptors. We're going to start off with the Lakers-Clippers. Clippers won 112-102 over the Lakers. Yeah, I guess we just jump right into it. So, what were your thoughts on the game? I mean, I thought it was a great game, first of all. I'll say happy to start a new season, exciting. L.A. versus L.A. rivalry. It's good to see. But the first thing I noticed was really just the, the Lakers offense just in the lack of spacing and just some of the – and just the overall flow of the offense is pretty much – I mean, we all knew it was going to be the LeBron AD show. But we didn't know it was literally going to be the LeBron AD show. Like, it's everything's still LeBron and AD. The offense is stagnant. The offense looked bad. Both of them shot poorly from the field. AD shot 8 for 21. And LeBron shot 7 for 19. LeBron shot 1 for 5 from 3 on a team that already struggles to shoot. So, that's not acceptable. They had 8 turnovers combined and 13 assists. And uh, 8 turnovers. So, overall... Just, it wasn't a good showing for LeBron, especially. You expect more out of him, but game one, he has my benefit of the doubt. And then you have guys like Avery Bradley in the game, can't shoot. Tavis Caldwell Pope, zero points, five fouls, terrible night. Quinn Cook missed all his shots from three. Jared Dudley came in, he made two three, but was a negative 20 in the game. Complete train wreck defensively. Whoever he's guarding is a bucket. Green had the game of his life. 10 for 14 from the field, 7 for 9 from 3, 28 points. So you can't expect to see that again. But really, the Lakers overall, I mean, they played a good team. So you got to take that into account. But the Lakers didn't look good. They looked poorly coached. So from the Lakers in, that's my takeaway from the Clippers in. To me, it was really what's to be expected. I mean, you got Patrick Beverly shot terribly. Offensively, we didn't really give him much, but was – was a big-time energy guy, was all over the place on defense. Uh, and you had Kawhi pretty much go fed. Like, he went federal with this game. He had 30 points, 10 for 19 from the field. He was the same old – I mean, he, he had six turnovers. So, you don't like to see that. But as a whole, had a good game, got buckets. You had Williams and Montrez, Harrell off the bench to give you 28 points. So, it was pretty much what you expected to see from the Clippers. And it was a, a train wreck for the Lakers in a lot of ways. Yeah, I definitely think so. If you had to pick a way to start the season off, this was not it. Especially considering that the Clippers did not have Paul George. It's one of those things the Clippers are going to get way better when their guys get healthy. And the Lakers, without Caruso and Rondo, aren't going to be able to make up that gap. And Kuzma. And Kuzma aren't going to be able to make up that gap just with players be getting healthy. To dig deeper into the game, I think going on your whole LeBron and AD thing, the Lakers are just lacking playmakers on the court. So everything they do has to run through LeBron. That was very evident at the end of the first quarter when LeBron was taken out of the game. There was nobody on the court that could get break their man off the dribble. They were depending on guys like Quinn Cook and Troy Daniels to create offense or at least to you know, do post-entries, anything. And they just weren't able to get into their stuff because guys like Patrick Beverly were pressuring up the court and just disrupting their offense. And even when LeBron was in the game, they lacked the spacing in order to make him effective. They were really depending on him to break his man off the dribble and to create rotations and help defense to where he has that open pass. And it just wasn't there. They were guarding LeBron James with one defender. 
for a lot of the night. And that one defender was Kawhi Leonard, who I did not expect to be guarding LeBron James so early in the season. But they went right to it, and it was effective. And that was that was most evident in the second quarter when it was really like that LeBron Kawhi show when they both were doing their thing. The only difference is Kawhi at this point in his career is able to hit a multitude of contested shots, whereas LeBron's game isn't really predicated on hitting tough jumpers right now. So when he's driving, he's driving into help defense when he finally does give by his man. When he doesn't give by his man, their offense completely stagnates. And when Kawhi's on the court, he still has guys like Shamit, guys like Jermichael Green, Lou Williams off the bench. Patrick Beverly was off, as you said, but even he's a threat. You don't expect him to go 0 for 5 every game. They threw Patrick Patterson in there, which I don't expect him to play, but that just shows you guys are like 10th in their depth chart as the season progresses are still threats to make a shot. I was like, even Harkless made two threes. And speaking of Harkless, Harkless was a very important piece because I expected him to be that that power forward going forward. And when you have Paul George on the court with those guys, you have two-way players to a certain extent. Even though Mo Harkless is more of a play finisher, if he's able to finish plays, it's just super valuable to have guys that contribute on both ends of the court. Right. And so I think for the Lakers, the biggest takeaway on their offense, at least, is that they're really dependent on Anthony Davis scoring in one-on-one situations because, like I said, they weren't able to get him situations where the defense was helping or rotating. So even though Anthony Davis is very effective in the post, I don't think you want to live on a steady diet of Anthony Davis post hooks and things like that. Right. Well, and also the the uh, switchability at the power forward position with their forwards of the uh, of the Clippers. So, for instance, when PG comes back, they have Kawhi. PG is a forward, so you have a Jermichael Green, who I don't think can slide his feet with LeBron for a long time. But, you know, he's he's still a mobile forward. You got Harkless, a mobile forward. The LeBron AD pick and roll with AD at the four, as you said earlier, almost becomes neutralized because you're not getting the switch or whatnot on the play. It's almost like the Clippers are a bad matchup, especially if you want to put AD at the four. And also, the Lakers were running a majority of plays in a double horn, a double free throw set with two people at the free throw line trying to uh, pass the ball to one of them at the free throw line and then give a handoff back to LeBron. It's just like when you're doing all that, you're trying to have the guy that gives the handoff roll to the rim. You're doing all this within a tight amount of space. So all passes have to be on the money. You know what I'm saying? It's hands everywhere. It's people reaching in for the ball. I just feel like... It's not enough space for them to really be able to operate. And to go off your whole uh, LeBron AD at the four positions against the Clippers forwards, it's one of those things where if you do switch, then you have a Montrez Harrell or a Mo Harkless on LeBron, and then you have like a Kawhi on AD. So there's no obvious like advantage because LeBron at this point's career, I don't think you can expect him to just blow by a guy like Montrez Harrell off the dribble every time. So it just stagnates the offense, and they're able to build a wall. So if he does get by his man, there's help defense there. Right. And with, like you said, no shooters, that means they're able to help off their guy. But in this game, they weren't even having to help off their guy because LeBron wasn't able to create that separation. And at this point, I have to ask the question, do you think LeBron has lost a step? I think he's lost a step, but I don't think it's – I don't think it's going to be a, a big of a problem, as people think, because LeBron has showed – in his career, he can make leaners on the run. I mean, and he's still quick. He's going to be able to finish at the rim. You know, most games they play, you're not going to have a Kawhi Leonard. You're not going to have a defense at this level. So, it's not, I don't think it's going to rear its ugly head as much, but this is the marquee matchup they need to worry about. But, yeah, he's definitely lost a step, but I think he still has a step. And once again, you don't ever want to overreact too much 
to game one of the NBA season. Definitely mm-hmm. not. Definitely not. It's one of those things, too. I think the Lakers are going to be fine. It's just uh, it's just indicative of what you can expect against the marquee matchups. Right. And, and also, as I said off air to you, the Lakers already a team with a thin roster with not much margin for error. For them to have bad coaching is not an acceptable situation. So I think the coaching is, is going to be their biggest downfall in the long run because the offensive sets were terrible. And you can't expect much because if you were to fire Frank Vogel, for example, I think it only gets worse with a guy like Jason Kidd, who's known for his elbow sets, which is pretty much what we saw today. Right. It's, it's not probably like, his offense. It, might, it probably is his offense. So you're not going to be able to see that spacing LeBron's used to on those like Cavs runs where it's spread out. And anytime anybody even does a slight bit of help, he kicks it to their man. We saw it today, but they weren't hitting the shots. And eventually, they weren't even helping off their guy. They were allowing LeBron to go into right. to traffic. Because when you're playing at JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard, their man's completely helping off. And there's no penalty for that. Right. My question back to you is, I see a lot of people on Twitter saying they're completely out on LeBron playing the point. How do you feel about that situation and how he looked at the point? Well, most nights I think it'll be fine. When we were playing teams at this level... For example, the Clippers, and I know it's in the East, like the Bucks and the Sixers, they have guys that I think can play good enough defense on LeBron to where he's not just a complete mismatch. So him breaking his men off at the top of the key, which is what he would be doing as a point guard, I don't think that that's like the best use of his talents. Whereas if you had a point guard, it would allow them to break their men off the dribble and to get LeBron moving with a head of steam already. Right. Which I think is more appropriate for a guy this late in his career to expect him to be able to, you know, take advantage of already having an advantage, like being on the move already. Right. Like, to expect LeBron to dribble the top of the key every possession and for every possession to be dependent on him making something happen from the top of the key, I don't think that's fair to him. Yeah, also, well, my only probability, because personally, I'm not out on it yet, but the one thing I noticed that I think is going to be a problem is this team needs LeBron to average 27 points per game. And that's the biggest thing. Like at so the end have, of the day, yeah. he yeah. has to be a scorer. And there's too many possessions where LeBron was at the top of the key trying to run the offense where it's just not gonna work. Like he has to score points in order to get the the defense to overreact to him. And that's where we can see LeBron using his passing advantage. And at the top of the key, it's just it's just too much of a set defense in front of him for that to happen. Right. Another thing that was very evident, I know we were already talking about it, but you just saw the difference of having guys who are threats on offense. So at the start of the third quarter, the Clippers were able to generate offense without Kawhi being dominant like he was in the second quarter because they were able to throw guys in like Lou Williams for stretches and he would get buckets. Like I said, Landry Sham and them were threats. Ivica Zubac was able to post up and score effectively in the post. He was 100% from the field tonight and two of those were low post moves on guys like JaVel McGee. It's just something that the Lakers don't have at this point in the season. Another thing, too, is when they go to their bench lineups, when you have a Lou Williams, Montrez Hero pick and roll, it's just so deadly. Because even when you have a guy like Avery Bradley who's able to stay in front of Lou Williams at times, it didn't matter. Because you set that screen, now your defense is already scrambling. And Lou Williams just kills defense as it is. Now you give him a threat of Montrez Hero running, rolling to the basket, and it's unstoppable. That's what they ate on all season last year. Right. And so you have guys like Dwight, who's scared to jump at the rim, or I don't know what's up with him. He just does not jump to contest. 
and JaVale McGee, whose defensive IQ is already questionable. It just he, They had them in the blender too many times. And then one-on-one, Lou Williams is a guy that can get his shot at any time off the bench against bench lineups, whereas the Lakers don't have anybody to combat that and to keep up in the scoring race. Right. And, and to speak on Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee, they need to be specialty players to me. They need to stop the charade, make AD play way more minutes at center, and guys like Dwight and guys like McGee can play big minutes against teams like the Sixers, the Bucks, against teams like the Nuggets. You can throw them out there more. Teams with ample amount of bigs that like to play big, but they aren't a big enough mismatch. Like, see, I always say with the Sixers, people say, how the Sixers going to win play some of the Clippers who have all these smaller guys? The Sixers are big enough and have good enough bigs, some with the Bucks, to where, yes, it's a bad mismatch, but they're going to have to pay for being small. Yeah. Dwight and JaVale aren't making you pay for being small. So now you're the only one sacrificing for having those two big guys that can't move on the court. So it's a lose-lose. So in these situations, AD needs like against them, I, I get he don't want to bang, but who's he banging against down there like that? He was going to put up against Trez Harrell anyway. Yeah, which is why the post was effective for him. Yeah, because Trez Harrell, I mean, because the, the, the Clippers don't have anybody that can guard him in the paint. But you're not going to win games running 80 ISO 15 times, 20 times. Yeah. I mean, another thing, too, was the brightest spot for the Lakers tonight outside of Anthony Davis was Danny Green. I mean, he had 18 points in the third quarter, which really kept them afloat and kept it from being a blowout. Yeah, he, he went federal. <laughs> yeah, so he on that 15-0 run against the Clippers without LeBron and Kawhi on the court. The problem is, once that dried up, their whole offense dried up. Right. And just to capitalize on that, at the end of the game, there was a 9-0 run as soon as they subbed LeBron out for the Clippers because, like I said, they had guys that can create shots at the end of the day. And that was without Kawhi on the court, too. Like, Kawhi had a decent – I mean, he had 30 points, right? But a lot of that was in the first half. Right. In the second half, you really saw the difference in depths for both teams. Yeah. So the Lakers bench had 19 points. And the Clippers bench had upwards of 40, 50 points. I mean, Williams by himself had 21. Yeah. Montrez Harrell came off the bench at 17. Jamal Green had 12. Marcus had 10. So that's that's upwards of 50 points. So that's a 30-point swing from the bench. Trez Harrell, Lou Williams, plus 13 at least coming off the bench. So, so when your bench comes in and just completely smacks other teams' bench, I mean, to me at this point, I might try Caruso over Quinn Cook. Well, yeah, something. Caruso was hurt. Oh, he's hurt. Okay. So I think when he when he's back and Kuzma's back, which I think both of them will come off the bench, it would definitely help. So I don't want to over exaggerate, but it's just I don't I can't expect them to put up the same production that's right. the Clippers bench. And uh, I don't want to gas Caruso by any means, but the Lakers need serviceable guys, which is why not to prolong the point, but even. And I'm not some J.R. Smith apologist, but he would look better out there than Troy Daniels. I'm confident in that. Definitely. Offense are so good in NBA, as people say, that defense is like, it matters, but I'd rather have him out there than Bradley, somebody who I know is going to catch the ball on a draw and be able to knock down shots, be able to make plays with the ball. Yeah, I would too. And somebody you can trust going into a playoff run. And that's the thing. It's like there's not that many guys out there they can pick up for free because they don't have the assets to trade to make their team like significantly better, which is why also I never really 
bought into the whole Andre Iguodala hype because Andre Iguodala provides a specialty in guarding guys like Paul George and Kawhi. Which they need. They definitely need that. But I would argue that they just need more creation, period. And a guy like Rondo, I just don't see him helping because he's just such a a negative when when it comes to shooting. So teams are able to disrespect him and stay at home, and you don't pay for it. Right. But like like I said though, like this is not the end of the world for the Lakers. The Lakers are still gonna be a very good team. They're gonna be a playoff team. But this gives you concern when it comes to getting those deep playoff runs. They confirmed previous already concerns, which which is why which is why it's one game, right? Which is why you say it's one game. And it's why I'm not going too hard on LeBron, right, or nothing like that, because because yeah, LeBron's gonna play better than this. If they play a playoff, LeBron's not. I guarantee LeBron's not gonna play like this. But as far as the next creator, shooting, things like that that were already concerns that people had, and then you come out here and play like this and confirm concerns, that's when you're like, well, we thought this was going to be a problem, and it's already looking like it is a problem. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that's enough for this game. Let's go ahead and move on to the first game of the night, which was the Raptors and Pelicans. The Raptors beat the Pelicans in overtime, 130 to 122. I think this was one of those games where... The Pelicans should have won, but it shows you the value of having guys that you can rely on that have continuity and the fact that the Raptors were able to battle through that and just were able to outlast the Pelicans' hot shooting. I think you can take a lot of positives from the Pelicans' performance. Like, no, they should not have lost this game considering where they were at in the game and they had that fourth quarter lead that evaporated. But at the same time, I think you saw some positive things. Most importantly, Brandon Ingram looked decent tonight. I think that if he can hit his corner threes and just be aggressive attacking off the dribble, I think that he'll have a very successful year. Yes, he still put up a lot of mid-range jump shots, which he still needs to cut out of his game. Like it's okay to get to your mid-range spots, but it's different the difference between getting to your spots when they give it to you and enforcing it. Like I think they were kind of happy with some of the shots that he was taking, the Raptors were, and that's not good. But all in all, Brandon Ingram had a very positive start. And also, Drew Holiday was 6 for 15 from the field. And I don't think he'll be shooting that poorly the rest of the season. Uh, and, of course, when Zion gets back, that'll be their second-best offensive player on the court, which they were missing. Right. So, for me, I agree with everything you just said. But my biggest takeaways from the game, right, that were that were just, like, intriguing. One is, as a Sixers fan who watched Reddit for the last couple of years, it's funny, whenever he gets ripped, he just he just falls out and like he actually like got fouled like uh, like a, who was it that ripped though I think it was a was it uh I think it was OG and Anobi had just stripped that chicken stripped him and dude just fell out <laughs> act like he got fouled and, and it works fifty percent of the time because he can't dribble but anyway back to a serious point uh it was, was a Ingram. He played started off the game hot. He came, he came out hot. He was playing really well, and then and then his shot evened out. So I think he he needs to cut out the mid range shots, but I don't think he will. So his shot selection was bad, and I and, and he's still being a bit of a ball stopper. Like as soon as he gets, he's looking to dribble. He's looking to he's looking to make his one on one game. I think he needs to get back to when he was with the Lakers at times. He showed he could be somewhat of a facilitator, a passer. So I think he needs to get back to that a little more. And and, and like you said, the corner threes. Are very encouraging. That looked good. On the Raptors end of things, Pascal Siakam looks like a star. It looks like he's going to be a star. I mean, for me, that was the biggest question for the Raptors coming into the season was they lost Kawhi. Who's going to be their go-to scorer? 
we know it can be Lowry. We know he's not that anymore. He, he never really was, but we know he's definitely not that now. He's getting older. He's a glue guy. So they need Pascal Siakam to step up and be all-star. And today, he looks like an all-star. His field goal percentage wasn't the greatest. It wasn't the best ever. But just overall, you could just 18 boards, 34 points. Like He was stepping into his role as a star. Uh, he was tacking the rim. He got to the free throw line five times, maybe. Made 10 out of 11. So if I'm a Raptors fan, that's really encouraging to see Pascal Siakam taking – taking that star role on, head on. He just needs to be more smart about his fouls. He fouled out. But all in all, he was really encouraging, had a great game. Fred Van Fleet, I mean, you, you can't expect that kind of performance out of him often, but, I mean, that's a hell of a game. I think you can. I mean, he had 34 points tonight, and it wasn't like one of those things where he was just shooting hot. Yes, he was 5 for 7 from the 3, and some of them were difficult shots, but he also finished a lot of layups and, like, aggressive attacks to the rim. So I and, think that yeah. I think there will be a lot of nights where he will put up good points. I don't think that, that this was a fluke game from him. No, not a fluke, but he was hot. It was definitely hot, but the defense he was going against, I mean, he wasn't going against, like, terrible defenders. defenders. I think yeah, at the point guard position, I mean, Drew Holiday Lonzo. and Lonzo, right, I mean, they were, they were on him at times. Now, I get the fact that Drew Holiday was forced to guard a lot of forwards this game, so he didn't get to focus purely on guards. But I and mean, you, and you got screens, and he's going downhill against Jaleel Okafor, and and that's the thing. Van Fleet knows how to. He's a crafty player. He knows how to yeah. attack the defense. Yeah, I definitely agree. He's he, he's going to have nights where he get thirty, but I think I mean I think you can expect somewhere in the teens for him. That's fair. But tonight he took what the defense gave him. He I mean he he can finish in the paint with the trees as long as it's not. You know, obviously an elite shot blocker, nothing like that. Another big thing I noticed, which for me is going to be a big question for the Pelicans, especially with Zion out, is Josh Hart finished the game. And Lonzo didn't play most of the fourth, didn't finish the game, came back in, started the overtime, but was yanked right back out about halfway through the overtime, right? So to me, the biggest thing I noticed was when Lonzo and Drew played together, they were letting Lonzo be on the ball and bring it up the court, which is a questionable decision considering the fact how much better – how much more of a threat as a scorer Drew Holiday is with the ball in his hands? Like, you just see, and again, like, Drew Holiday's craftier with the ball. He's a threat to actually go score. So, so at times, I feel like the offense looked better, even though Drew didn't shoot well, but he's still getting in the paint. You know, he's getting paint touches. So, I feel like uh, the offense looked better with the ball in Drew's hands, which is why, eventually, when it came to winning time, he had to yank Lonzo and put – Drew at point, bringing Josh Hart, who shot well today, shot three for five from three, and is also a solid defender. So I, th- I think as the season goes on, that's going to be something to look at. Like, is Lonzo going to finish the games? I think he will. I, I actually question Alvin Gentry's decision to pull out Derek Favors and Lonzo Ball in favor of Jadil Okafor and Frank Jackson in the end of the fourth quarter. Like, I think he rode that lineup way too long, especially considering the fact that Favors is the guy you gave the money to. So this early in the season, you really do need to see what he's going to give you. And he does a lot of the same things Jalil does, but better. So I don't really understand that decision. So that was definitely a question mark for me. I'll go for definitely a question, a questionable decision. Yeah. Another a bright – well, since we're speaking about the Pelicans again, another bright spot was uh, Nicolo Melli. Uh, he spaced the court extremely well, four for five from three, five for seven from the field overall. I think they're going to have to ride him a lot, especially when Zion gets back, because they're going to need guys to just keep the paint open for their penetrators. 
So that was a positive sign. Like I said, I don't think that this game, even more so than the Lakers game, this game is not indicative of either team's season. I think it was a good it was a good early test for the Pelicans, and I do expect them to get better. It sucks that Zion's going to be missing this many games, so I don't know if they're going to be a playoff team, but this gave me reason to believe that they're going to fight for a playoff spot. They won't make the playoffs, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't think they will, but I do think they'll be competitive for sure. And even guys like Nikhil Alexander-Walker, I mean, he was 1 for 10 in the game. So either he's going to shoot better or he's going to play less. I don't expect them to allow a guy to be shooting 1 for 10 who's not one of their main guys. The way he came out shooting, which is another reason why I try to tell you I feel like he's going to play, because the way he came out shooting just shows me Alvin Gentry has complete confidence in him. That's fair. Like, like he came out he came out gunning off the rip. Yeah, he definitely did. He did. I mean, you kind of you want that confidence from your young guy. And for being honest, they don't a shooter. They don't have a real point guard off the bench, which is why they're probably going to end up staggering a lot of Lonzo and Drew Holiday minutes. Uh-huh. But I don't know. We'll see. We will definitely see. Um, is there anything else you have from this game? It was a couple plays at the end of the game where OG Ananobi started to show why people had him so high in their heads. Defensively, he looked pretty good tonight. The shot still needs to come along. But, I mean, the Raptors actually looked encur- – I mean, as you said, they both gave you reason to – but the Raptors looked encouraging as as in if Pascal Siabin can be a star, I think that they can compete for the third best team in the East because previously I kind of had them penciled in as – and I kind of had the Celtics in their own second tier in the East, and I was like everybody else underneath them. But I was also a Pascal Siakam doubter. But if Pascal can play at this level for the season, and I don't mean averaging 34 points per game, but, you know, like mid-20s a game, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, Marcus, so you can expect him to play better than this on a usual basis. So if he can do that for you and he's a legit all-star, uh, I think the Raptors could be a 3C contender and be a, a team a team that you don't want to play in the second round, that you'd rather have the Celtics than in the second round, then end up with the Raptors. I mean, it's just because the Raptors are one of those teams that you know is going to play solid. Like, they're not going to beat themselves. Right. Whereas the other teams in the East, outside of the top two with Milwaukee and the Sixers, it, there's question marks, you know? Like, they have legitimate holes. Where the Raptors don't have any holes, you just don't know how potent their offense will be at times. Yeah, no, it's not as much top end where you're just like, he'll beat you by himself if you let him, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, there's not any of that on this team, for sure. But if Pascal, I mean, if, if Pascal starts to show signs of that, this team can get scared. Definitely, definitely. All right, so that's going to wrap it up for our coverage of opening night in the league. I'm looking forward. Tomorrow is a big night in the NBA, as most of the other teams will get their fresh start to the season. The marquee games for tomorrow are Boston-Philadelphia on ESPN and Denver-Portland, which is also on ESPN. Uh, other than that, I mean, is on the matchups you're looking forward to? Oh, it's a couple of them. And as FYI, League Pass is free for the week if you don't have it. So the game against the Timberwolves in Brooklyn, I'm looking to see how Brooklyn starts their season. Obviously, as a Wiggins fan, I'm watching for that. Also got the Grizzlies Miami, another good one. John Moran starts his season against the Heat, have a new look team with Butler. They play. And lastly, another game that I'm really watching for is the Thunder versus the Jazz. I like to see, I want to see how the Jazz start off their season. And also the Thunder with Chris Paul. I feel like they could be a team that's, that people are expecting to suck, that could end up in March being like the 10th, 9th best team in the West. And I think they end up being the 7th, 7th seed, 8th seed in the playoffs. If you look at their team, their team isn't bad. It's really... Uh-oh. 
I mean, they have, what, Gallo and Shea, who are big parts of their Clippers playoff run, on top of Chris Paul. And they didn't lose anybody else on their team except for Paul George and Junior Russ. Grant. I mean, they lost Jeremy Grant, which is, I mean, he's definitely a big piece. And I'm not saying Russ and PG aren't stars, but what I'm saying is a lot of their role players that were showing signs, mm-hmm. like the Terrence Ferguson's, uh, Hamadou Diallo's, they're still there. You can expect them, to, well, not you can't expect, but you can hope for them to get a little better. And Steven Adams is also still there. So I do think that the Thunder will be competitive, and tomorrow will be a good, you know, first game to watch to see right. if it's starting to come together. And their point guard can make threes now. I mean, yeah, that's also big. But anyway, I'm not going to belabor that, but... <laughs> But, yeah, and also the Magic play tomorrow, so I always love to see my boy Kale get in there and mix it up. Definitely, definitely. Uh, Yeah, so that's going to about wrap it up for today. It was a good start to the season. Both games were competitive, and, yeah, it's going to be a great year. Once again, this has been The League at NBA Pod. If you like what you heard, please hit that follow or subscribe button. Because we are a new podcast, we'd appreciate it if you help us get the word out. We want to offer all fans a different flair and perspective as they follow this year's NBA season. As always, follow us at the League NBA Pod on Twitter to stay up to date with the latest episodes and to engage in the conversation and debates going around the internet. I want to thank you for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow with more coverage of the NBA.